Hello, hello, and welcome back to Unverified, the podcast helping you redefine success on social media. I'm your host, Coralie Trigger, and if we haven't met yet, well, hey there, it's nice to meet you. Thanks for being here. I'm an Emmy-winning creator and digital consultant, and I'm here to talk about all things social media and digital marketing with a little twist, and that is, I don't care how many followers you have. I don't care at all. And I know that sounds unusual, but hear me out. I don't care how big your audience is because for brands and businesses, social media platforms are just tools, like let's say running shoes, stay with me. (laughs) My dad and I both enjoy staying active and we both have running shoes, but he uses them to run marathons and I use them to walk my dog around the neighborhood. I do run every few months or so, but then I remember how awful it is. And anyway, the point is running shoes help us each do something different that's equally important in our own lives. That's why I make a conscious effort to turn away from digital vanity numbers in favor of focusing on real life goals that digital strategy can support. That's my style anyway. So let's talk about today's episode. Today's episode is all about the relationship between social media and television. And joining me is my dear friend, Sarah Kunin. She's the head of unscripted development at Riverside Entertainment, and her digital goals are all about how she can best use social media to discover new talent, promote existing shows, and build communities that can lead to more season pickups, spinoffs, and bigger projects. More with Sarah right after this. Today's episode of Unverified is being brought to you from the heart of East Nashville at the Russell, a historic church transformed into a -a one-of-a-kind boutique hotel. The Russell's mission is to give back to the Nashville community through their Rooms for Rooms program. They donate a portion of every stay to local organizations that provide a safe haven for those in need in the Nashville community. Visit RussellNashville.com to book your experience today. Y'all, I am so excited to have my dear friend and three-time Emmy and Edward R. Murrow award-winning television producer, Sarah Kunin, on the show today. She was a supervising producer at Good Morning America for many years and is currently the head of unscripted development at Riverside Entertainment, where she also serves as the showrunner and executive producer for Making Modern with Brooke and Bryce. It's a new show coming soon to Discovery+. Plus. Over the last decade, Sarah has worked closely with top celebrities, athletes, chefs, and newsmakers to deliver compelling content to millions of viewers across the country. If I were to read her bio, it would probably take up most of this show, so just know that basically she's worked with everybody. We first met a few years ago while producing a talk show in Nashville, and she quickly became one of my favorite people. On today's episode, we get into the relationship between TV and social media, how to optimize the social media presence of television shows, and a little sneak peek into what she's working on. Please enjoy my conversation with Sarah Kunin. We're recording. Oh my goodness. Yay! (laughs) Sarah Kunin, I am so excited that you're here today. I'm so excited to talk with you about the relationship between television and the internet. Number one, because it's quite possibly one of my favorite dysfunctional relationships of all time. (laughs) And two, we, we both know that very well. And two, we're coming at it from opposite sides. So you've been in TV forever. Do you remember what it was like when social media first showed up on the scene for you? Okay, so my first social media memory at ABC, I was an off-air reporter for the 2012 election, 
I was assigned to John Huntsman, who um, I think never peaked above maybe 2%. So I was following him around the country. <laughs> That's uh, really great to know because I was like, mm, that does not sound like, familiar. John Huntsman? <laughs> um, and, uh, really nice guy. Uh, so he was mostly stumping around the Northeast. So I spent a lot of time in basically every um, corner of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And Instagram just came out and no one really knew what to do with it. But my bosses said, you know, being on the campaign trail is so exciting. People want to know what you're doing. Just mm-hmm. document everything. So, you know, what did I care the most about? Food. So <laughs> here I was driving around. I think I just got my, well, this is another story. I just got my driver's license at 25 years old. I'm from New York City. That's why. Uh, um, New Yorker, so that's so I'm barely driving around New Hampshire and stopping at roadside <laughs> stands, taking pictures of every crazy meal I was having, taking pictures of the buttons at these campaign rallies. I just thought it was such a cool experience. And I thought my maybe three followers would care. <laughs> Uh, so that's, yeah, that's was sort of how I, I dipped my toe into social media. Um, For not knowing anything about social media, you definitely gravitated towards the Instagram food taking picture trend of the time <laughs> you were on knew? it. I guess it's just in our in our DNA or something. And then I, I sort of learned quickly that I, I really preferred the storytelling um, that was happening outside of the political conversations. And so I sort of mm. um, switched gears. I eventually became a food and lifestyle producer at Good Morning America. And I think maybe Instagram had something to do with it. <laughs> it was like your food posts paid off. I guess so. At the time, did GMA have social platforms of their own or were they relying solely on reporters and producers to tell the GMA story on their personal feeds. So yes, GMA had social platforms pretty quickly. Um, there wasn't an official social unit at that point, right? When, when Twitter and Instagram were kind of blowing up, I remember some producers, younger producers, PAs, APs kind of switching over from the broadcast side to the digital social side. Mm -hmm. So I remember, um, I had a friend that started sort of taking content that was on air on the linear program and reformatting it, doing cut downs, sometimes posting bonus content, things like that. Um, and yeah, then it very quickly became this race to gain followers. So that yeah. was that became a priority pretty quickly. I like that you called it a social media unit. That sounds so official. <laughs> I don't think Super it, official. It was like, all very official. Very newsy. I don't know if I've ever been a part of a social media unit. I think you're you're the queen of the social media unit. You you you're redefining what it means. Um, yeah, I guess a department. So, but again, yeah, in the beginning, I don't. I think everyone was trying to figure out how to use these new platforms. When did it shift for you from being a a, a place to just put finished product to where we are now? That's more collaborative, and shows are being developed with digital components in mind? Um, I was Michael Strahan's producer at Good Morning America. And there was one morning um, that I pitched a live stream. I want to say the the first idea was for it to be on Periscope. And then we wound up uh, sharing it on the actual ABC News website. They can, they had okay. a, there's a live function, which is obviously now um, very popular. So I said, why don't I just follow Michael with a camera all morning and just, you know, give a little taste of what it's like to get ready for a morning show at four o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's pretty unique. 
And we really did that. So my friend Sarah Politis, who was Michael Strahan's assistant at the time, now has gone on to, she's a badass VP of development in LA. Um, she and I walked around with uh, just a, a live stream. I think it was like a something attached to this crazy battery and a gimbal. <laughs> and we were like tripping all over ourselves. But we filmed him in the car and prepping in the dressing room and tracking his pieces in the morning. And it was actually really cool. And mm -hmm. it was something that never would have made it on the air. Sure. Um, I think from that and some obviously other conversations, but that was what I remember doing first. Good Morning America wound up doing this thing called 40 for 40. And it was 40 hours of just live streaming content. And it was a bunch of TV producers coming together and, um, yeah, just producing live stream shows. And it, it didn't, it was really unique. It was something that no one had done before at ABC. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, it didn't totally make sense. I think we were all just kind of figuring it out, but I remember that moment being like, Oh, the, every ABC is investing a ton of resources into this big live streaming event. So it was the first time that I noticed my bosses were really excited about reaching this digital audience with content that was completely separate. You know, it was, you know, related, we would see the same characters and, you know, it was familiar for people who watched the show. Mm -hmm. But it was content that never would have sort of lived on its own on television. So that was, I don't know, maybe 2016 or something like that. And yeah. from that moment on, I was very aware of, you know, unique content that I should be thinking about for digital. It's almost like having to rethink what producing means. You know, I producing a TV interview, being super selective with sound bites, and, you know, there's two minutes of time, that's it versus a long form conversation like what we're having right now. You know, I mean, it, it, yeah. it only if, if you can learn to evolve with these new platforms, I think it only makes you a better producer. At least I would hope so. And you have a unique perspective on all of this because now your job responsibilities span virtually, I mean, every single part of the production timeline. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> from coming up with ideas <laughs> to selling it, to producing it, to being with your talent when it airs and then, you know, next steps after you wrap a season. That's um, right. What are the conversations like now that you're more in the development world? What are the conversations like with networks and production companies and talent about defining success online in 2021? Well, <laughs> you know, sometimes it doesn't feel that different. <laughs> it's funny. Um, so yes, I, after leaving TV news a decade at ABC, I started working in development and, uh, so much of what I do now or what I, what I aim to do is find, uh, interesting people who have compelling stories to tell and mm -hmm. helping them, you know, bring it to a platform so that they find success. We all succeed together. Sure. And I do find that, you know, there, there are some really incredible people that aren't necessarily thinking that what they do should be on TV or should have a show, but maybe they're posting that content on social. So it's a great mm -hmm. place to connect and meet people who aren't just trying to be, you know, famous for the sake of being famous. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, and I think that's, what's so great about your approach to social media, what you've taught me since, you know, we've been friends since I moved to Nashville, mm -hmm. um, is it's really about that community, not necessarily yeah. about finding these 
people with a huge follower count. It totally, um, I had to re reframe what success means on social after meeting you. Cause I really <laughs> always thought, you know, even when I used to book segments, um, for ABC, I would look at a follower count as like, okay, great. This person has a million followers. Well, they'll be great in the segment. Definitely does not translate to success on TV. Mm -mm. Um, but if somebody has an incredible community and they're doing something really unique and they happen to be able to share that on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, um, I see so much potential and how I can come to them and collaborate and tell their story, you know, yeah. on camera. That makes me so happy. It's the highest of compliments. <laughs> Change your definition of success. Basically, whatever media. you tell me to do, Coralie, I, I'm, I'm down. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you are, you just get it. You totally get it. There is something, um, Really, I, I, for any television producer that's listening to this, that is still paying attention to follower account, like for the love of whatever's holy in your life, <laughs> check the engagement on the post. Like, I don't know how many producers have come into my office saying, Hey, we want to do a social extra for this episode. They've got half a million followers. Aren't they so cute? Blah, blah, blah. And it got to the point that um, I wouldn't even look up from my computer and be like, cool. Uh, how many people commented on their last photo? How many people watched their last video? <laughs> and then it's, it, I did have a great relationship with the PAs that I worked with on my last show, but they knew when they came in that I, unless they could prove that people actually cared about the person that they were pitching for a social extra, I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> I love it. We had some I harsh, we had some like, yeah, we had some realities checked pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, especially because it doesn't matter. Like if you're speaking to, you know, a room of half a million people, but only 50 people are listening. I don't care that the audience has half a million people. Right. That doesn't help me with my message that I'm trying to, oh, to share. I typically look for consistency. Okay. Um, and try to notice trends of like, okay, what's happening in the comments? If people are commenting, is the person responding? Mm -hmm. um, because it's so easy to forget. And now that I'm recording these episodes, I feel like I'm probably saying it in every episode that the difference between traditional media and social media is the social part, which is the most obvious thing in the world, but so easy to forget. Right, right. Like if you're not being social, a little newspaper boy could should be delivering it. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's so true. It seems so obvious, and yet you're so right. Unless you're interacting with folks and getting feedback yeah. and adapting to you know who you want to consume, what you make. Yeah. What's the point? It's kind of the whole thing. Totally. Wow. Learning. See how much we're learning here, <laughs> even today. <laughs> so, what do you notice a difference between? talent versus network versus production. I mean, I hear a lot of producers still, I mean, it, it's still the, the follower count or the going viral or the whatever. There's still definitely for me come up in almost every meeting. Oh yeah. It is still a top priority, um, with network. Certainly mm -hmm. it, it's a metric that they will use in, you know, hiring talent. Does yeah. their talent have the chops to sustain a brand? If they invest in a show, is their spinoff potential or will other brands want to be interested in them? Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, it's funny. I, I also work, I work with people. Some have several million followers, some have 700 followers. Yeah. Um, and 
it's really interesting to see, uh, at least personally, the type of content that I like to watch is the stuff that feels really unique. It doesn't matter. I when I the accounts that I follow, I don't really care how many followers they have. I follow them because I love the food pictures they <laughs> post, or I love yeah. the beautiful countryside that they share, mm-hmm. and. Um, I don't know. I guess I, it's funny, like thinking about myself as a media consumer versus somebody that's selling it. Yeah. It, I tend to forget sometimes like, oh yeah, the people just want to watch this stuff. They just, they just want to be engaged. Yeah. I'd never look at a follower count as a viewer, but certainly when I look for talent, it's definitely a question that comes up in a lot of big meetings. It really is kind of wild to me that networks still have this view when we're living in capitalism. Like why is, why is nobody talking about the dollar amount or like where that dollar amount comes from? I think there's this miss, I don't think, I know there's this huge misconception that a large vanity follower number equals dollars. Like that's just not true. And I get so like, I have a client who is, she's a fitness influencer or fitness instructor, I guess. She's a fitness micro influencer, I guess. Uh Um, She has uh, between, she's under 10,000 followers on Instagram and she still has a full day job. She's, you know, still a fitness instructor. She, with her under 10,000 followers, makes more money from integrated brand deals and partnerships annually than she does from her regular job. Wow. There's so much opportunity for a network to pick up a show with micro influencers that have that loyal following that. Yeah. Yeah. That loyal following. I mean, think about it, right? When you, when you look at the, I forget what it's called. Maybe it's not called anything, but a trustworthiness Mm -hmm. scale in terms of advertising, the most trustworthy recommendation is one from a friend and the least is something, you know, like a, a TV ad spot that you're hearing for the first time. So What's happening with these huge influencers with a capital I that keep growing as as they grow, they're getting closer and closer to that TV ad spot, Mm. right? They're getting further and further away. And the micro influencers are closer to a friend. So what we're seeing now in a lot of um, like influencer ad campaigns is kind of the same as, you know, you think about press that there are reasons to shoot for like the national TV spots, mostly brand awareness. But when you're talking about conversion and KPI, you're looking at those micro influencers. So if you are working on a scrappy budget or you're working on um, just trying to squeeze out every dollar that you possibly can from new talent, which let's be honest, is the goal of every network. (laughs) People are sleeping on these micro influencers because they have buying power that nobody else could possibly have. Right. So if a show or a network were to partner with a micro influencer, it's not just, oh, they only have 10,000 followers or 5,000 followers or whatever. It's they have this loyalty. They can convert for advertisers. You can also use that data to upsell your ad spots that that people are buying against the show on TV right? Add some extra social posts on there because you have these incredible KPIs that don't exist anywhere else. Wow. Yeah. It seems so obvious when you put it that way. (laughs) 
<laughs> and yet here we are. But that's not the conversation that's right. happening in these spaces. No, no. So it's, I mean, yeah, I just like to, when I have those conversations, it's about those, well, they don't have enough followers. It's like, does that, what does that even matter? Right. Like, what do you actually care about? Do you, do you care about viewers or yeah. do you care about money? Let me tell you, you care about money. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's just figuring out how you define success, right? What does success mm-hmm. on social media mean to you? For yeah. me, I, I would love people to engage in the content that I am producing or collaborating on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm at the end of the day in the business of entertainment, you know, and especially this year um, with so much of us at home and streaming every single thing that exists on every, you know, <laughs> Netflix and Hulu and beyond. Yeah. Um, I just really like telling stories that people care about. And so ultimately, if I can reach an audience that enjoys that content and then can provide feedback and we can kind of build something together, that's what excites me the most. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's return on investment when, you know, we get uh, picked up for multiple seasons of projects and hired for new gigs and all of that. That's all, that's all part of it. But, um, but yeah, I think this is, it definitely changes the way that I think about how I, how I should be looking for talent for some of my projects for sure. It just opens the door a little bit wider. There are other, there are just other, yeah, other ways to look at bringing people in. And like you said earlier, there are some people that don't have a huge following at all in our creating stuff for their friends, but right. you as a producer, you're like, ding, ding, ding. Right. We need to do something with this. Totally. That's yeah. That's a lot of what I do is it's almost, it's kind of like finding the diamonds in the rough the people that are authentic and, you know, you don't want someone to be overly media trained. Mm-hmm. I think just like you said, the trustworthiness scale or whatever we want to call it, people can really sniff out authenticity too. Yeah. So I think there's something really beautiful about finding somebody who isn't perfectly groomed, who doesn't necessarily speak in perfect sound bites. That to me is what I want to invest more time in because it's like you build this relationship with somebody who's really authentic. What I loved about working with Michael Strahan at ABC for so long is that he is himself. He is, he, listen, he didn't go to journalism school. He mm-hmm. started as a football player. He went to college on a football scholarship. He won the Super Bowl 15 seasons in the NFL. <laughs> and yet you know, he feels like your best friend when he's telling you stories and interviewing people and, you know, doing these deep dives into uh, content that, you know, other correspondents who maybe have a little more news uh background, you know, maybe they they got their chops at affiliates around the country or whatever. I'd rather listen to my friend Michael. Yeah. I feel like you make these connections with people and it sort of jumps off the screen when someone is being their their true self. You're so spot on. And it's definitely the way that the social trends are trending as well. This, the, the polished days of early 2010s, Instagram are, are gone. Right. That's, that's not, thank God. Oh, right. (laughs) Truly. Even us as consumers, well, and, and producers, we're getting bored. Both, both sides of us are getting bored with this, like perfect nonsense. Sure. Like we're, we see beyond it now. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that affects your ability to find people and for people to actually be able to show up. Right. Because if someone had just been posting pictures of food, 
and you're like, oh, cute. They're like great food. As a TV producer, you don't know if they're a good talker. Sure. You don't know what their personality is like. You don't know what their story is. You don't know why they're cooking. Right. And all of a sudden, if this, you know, food blogger or aspiring chef or whoever they are, they start showing up on video and it's a heartbreaking story or a joyful story or just emotional in any way. All of a sudden, you as a producer are like, oh, my gosh, I love this person. Totally. Everyone needs to see them. I remember you know, when we worked on Pickler and Ben together, mm-hmm. uh, finding talent, uh, finding guests on Pickler and Ben, you know, that was often a struggle, especially in Nashville, we're in the land of influencers and mm-hmm. there are plenty of people that appear really bubbly and personable and fearless on their social media accounts. Of course, we don't see how many takes, you know, (laughs) they did of the same pose before they had the, you know, sun perfectly shining on their hair and their voice was saying, you know, whatever. So I think I noticed that anytime we booked an influencer on Pickler and Ben, it was sort of a mixed bag. Sometimes we would get lucky and have somebody great. But a lot of times those folks were not ready to be in front of a live studio audience because it's just they were not in control anymore Mm -hmm. and everything was perfectly filtered and edited and all everything was, you know, in their control because they were producing content, um, on their terms. So I think just like you said, it will be, I think really helpful if we are able to strip away some of those filters and people are showing up without their hair and makeup perfectly done keeping it real. My friend Alyssa Rosenheck is so good at this. She's an amazing um, interiors photographer and she wrote a book, but she's a great um, community built around the content that she produces. So she Mm -hmm. will share these beautiful pictures as a professional photographer, but sometimes she'll wake up in the morning without any hair (laughs) or makeup, sit in front of that camera and say, you know, here's whatever insanity I'm dealing with. And she has these conversations on her social platforms and you really see all of these different, um, projects sort of come together. So people are investing in her as, uh, you know, the great work that she produces that's super polished, but also who she is when she keeps it real. And I think that that's something really, um, inspiring. I know that you, your, your stuff is personally private. How do you define success for yourself online? So now I work in development and it's incredibly competitive, which I love. Mm -hmm. I love sort of the rush of the sale, putting a great pitch together and meeting with these executives and getting them to sort of believe in the stories that we want to tell. I love that. I think success for me uh, on social media or digitally is, is, I guess, first of all, being able to make connections with people that are in this industry. I really enjoyed Clubhouse when it first came out because I was able to make these really unique connections with people that I never would have encountered in any other capacity. Or I never would have crossed paths with, you know, living in Nashville. Yeah. And so that was the first time that I actually felt like I was, uh, I don't know, I guess focused on the connections that I was making. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't really care about you know, it, there were no really, there were no real vanity numbers. There was no fear of being, you know, 
how many, how many people were listening to conversations I was having. I just loved the ability. I loved being able to have conversations with interesting people, like-minded people in this industry. I had never experienced that before. So Mm I, at least on social media. So I am, I, you know, that really worked during quarantine when we all had plenty of time to sit at our phones and have these clubhouse conversations. I don't really have the bandwidth to sort of be on the app like I was, you know, at the height of COVID. But I would love to be able to keep connecting with people in this world, in this in this development world, meeting other folks that are doing something similar, collaborating. I think that that is sort of um, a goal for me. And, you know, being able to try new things, sell more projects, find interesting stories to tell, sort of change the narrative. And um, yeah, that I think that's my goal. So what is your experience like on social media these days? What what platforms do you spend the most time on? What do you do when you get on them? I definitely am on Instagram over any other platform. Okay. Some of it is kind of the mindless scrolling that I think we all tend to do uh-huh. from time to time. Um, I, I do try to find um, content that feels peaceful. I love, mm-hmm. you know, moving to Nashville from New York City. I'm born and raised in New York City. I think that alone kind of reset my priorities in terms of, you know, appreciating outdoor space and taking time to breathe. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so even it feels silly to say I, I find that content on social media. I should probably be enjoying it in, in real life. <laughs> but um, but, you know, I I I love to cook. So you know, and I love trying new foods, new restaurants and things here. So I'm always following sort of local food blogs, people that post and share interesting dishes and things in Nashville, um, travel stuff like that. Um, yeah, I just have to, I just have to like pause and commend you for maybe unintentionally, probably intentionally Marie condoing your own Instagram feed. <laughs> I, I think I did do that. Thank you. I don't, yeah. I don't think I was fully aware, but yeah, I definitely, um, turned off a lot of the noise and I just look for things that make me happy. And, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think peaceful social media is, is the goal. <laughs> that's for sure. It's not always possible, but it's so freeing to realize like, you can have a private account if you want to, and you can unfollow people and you can mute people. Oh yeah. Muting is the best thing ever. I had so many clients that are like, I have to follow all of these industry people because like they followed me and and whatever. And it's like, well, just then mute them. Just mute them. That's like, so but then funny. what if I don't see anything? It's like, well, you're not getting on Instagram anyway. Well, listen, <laughs> it doesn't I, matter. I will tell you this. I, it kind of, it was it felt um, it was a big deal when I turned my Instagram from public to private because yeah. in the beginning of using the app, I thought that that was the goal to have more people following me. Like there was some kind of like, you know, trophy you get the sure. more followers you have. <laughs> and then it actually creeped me out a little bit when people bots started following me mm-hmm. Um especially if I was ever reposted by some celebrity talent or something. And then all these people would reach out asking for tickets to a show or whatever. And it just felt like that wasn't the way that I wanted to use the app. I wanted to connect with my friends and um, people that I was inspired by. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, my socials are private now. I, I'm, I do still from clubhouse. I actually was using it, um, in the messages to, to connect with people after conversations that I was having on clubhouse, especially when I would do, you know, advice tips on how to succeed on 
television. Sure. So I do still accept people and everything, but I, I like the ability to filter out some of the people that don't, um, they, they, they don't feel like, I don't feel like they shouldn't be following <laughs> my personal life. Yeah, no, it's true. I think it was you and, and our friend Garrett were the two people who went, I think you guys both went private pretty close to each other. And you guys were the ones, the first, the first like industry people that I saw go private. And I was like, Oh, I want to do this. <laughs> I felt yes. so empowered and I went through, it was exhausting, but I manually went through everyone who was following me and I'm so glad that I went private. It, it, it is a little bit unnerving. Not that I have anything on my Instagram that's like incriminating, you know, or anything, no. but there is something nice about it just being private and me knowing like the people who are following me, I know them in real life. Right. And, um, and if you, you know, and then my, my projects are public. So if anyone wants to follow the podcast or doodle or whatever, then, then that's all out there. But as for my personal stuff, I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll go back to having a public account. Yeah. I, I've also had some friends that have had to deal with the imposter accounts and, you know, fake profiles mm -hmm. as producers. And that actually, I mean, it's really dangerous when People are communicating, uh, you know, pretending to be you reaching out to, you know, folks in the industry. It can get um, a little scary. So, yeah, I just feel like it, it sort of gave me the power back on my socials and I love it. Yeah. I probably won't go back either. Private Instagram for life. <laughs> you can follow my dog, Bruce the Shep. He is public. We made him a public Instagram account. Oh, so uh, that is about as public as I'll get. <laughs> if anyone wants to pretend to be Bruce, I mean, go have at it. It's very, it's a very sweet account. <laughs> Unverified is supported by Doodle Different, a little book of places to start. With unique drawing prompts and hashtags on each page, Doodle Different is the place where offline creativity meets online community. It's a celebration of imagination. Get your copy or digital download on doodledifferent.com and use the code UNVERIFIED for 15% off. That's UNVERIFIED, like the name of this podcast, for 15% off at doodledifferent.com. Happy doodling! So part of, you know, what I do in development is I look for stories that haven't been told yet and find people that, you know, don't yet have the platform to tell those stories. So oftentimes that means I'm working with talent that really doesn't have a huge social media following. So I would love to know your take on, on helping guide, you know, sort of new green talent that, that isn't used to sort of building a community that doesn't yet have the tools, the strategy to, to grow, um, as on air, as on camera talent. Um, any advice that you can give me <laughs> to make these folks better? I'm all ears. Yeah, I think the, it's so simple, but I think the biggest thing is just to not forget about the social part of social media. And there is this pressure when you're working on TV projects to, act a certain way or even just naturally behave differently when there are a ton of cameras surrounding you and people being conscious of their image and their brand. And especially if the show is about their business, like putting their best foot forward and, um, and putting all their trust into the producers and the production company and the network to, to do right by them. Yeah. Um, one of the nice reminders about social is that's a place that that they are in charge. I was using this, I used this metaphor the other day that I really liked that was the thinking about the thinking about social media as the confession cam element. 
in a reality mm, TV show. Mm-hmm. So you've got the TV part that's polished or however, you know, other people want to tell your story. And social is the spot for you to tell your own mm-hmm. from your your point of view. Right. So I want to be conscious of time, but I can't let you go without asking you about your upcoming projects. Are you allowed to tell us anything? Yes, there is. <laughs> I can breaking news. No, um, the project that I'm most excited about just because it was it was really such a win. It was the first the first time I ever tried to sell a show. I don't know if it's beginner's luck or what, but we sold it. Um, it's Congratulations. Co- thank you. It was it was really, really special yeah. um, to go through that whole pitch process and actually have a have a win. So um, the show is called Making Modern with Brooke and Bryce. It's going to be on Discovery Plus. It, it's um, a part of the Magnolia Network, which is Chip and Joanna Gaines joint venture with Discovery. Love so it. They bought the show. Um, it's going to be out this fall on Discovery Plus, and it follows my friends, Brooke and Bryce Gillum. They are, by day, an orthodontist and pharmaceutical sales rep, uh, and at night, a build design uh, duo. Oh, my gosh. What's really cool about them is that Bryce, the husband, is the designer, and Brooke the wife is the builder. So they're kind of flipping the script on traditional gender roles. It's really authentic. It's, this is not a gimmick. This is how they essentially built their own house. Um, Friends and family started to learn about their talent and started hiring them. So it became a little side hustle Um, and they're just, they're the best. So yeah, I met them when I first moved to Nashville, thought they should have a show. We cooked it up, brought it to Riverside Entertainment. Now I, I work with them full time. And um, yeah, so that's that's coming out this fall and super, super excited. Ooh, congratulations. Thank you. Love that. Already, like I can't help but insert myself because I'm already thinking about social ideas for Please. them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we will I we will take all the ideas we can get. Coralie, I wanna I'm gonna monopolize all of your time. <laughs> I want extract as much information in this in this podcast as I can. So I'm sure the network is taking care of all strategy, but are they on Pinterest? They are on Pinterest. I, I do not know how Pinterest works. Okay. <laughs> um, I know that Brooke and Bryce definitely um, use Pinterest and I think they, I think they post, they, I think they have a Pinterest account that they share on, but I certainly don't know how to use it. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you a little backstory on Pinterest. So, well, actually let me back up a little bit more and then, and then I'll give you the backstory on Pinterest. The story that to help you understand the backstory of Pinterest. please. <laughs> so um, when I think of social content for TV shows and really for marketing anything, I think of them in three buckets. One is the traditional social posts they have. uh, So that would be like your Facebook and your Instagram and your Twitter. Then you have direct to consumer, direct to your audience, which is going to be email or text. And then you have this other bucket that's search. And the search is often overlooked, I've found in the entertainment space, right? That's like your Google, your YouTube, and also your Pinterest. So Pinterest is one of the largest search engines on the internet. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Breaking news. (laughs) I did not know that. That's everyone's reaction though. And it's like, oh yeah, because it's kind of, it's not necessarily marketed that way. It's kind of, you think of Pinterest and you think of like a custom magazine, a custom digital magazine, right? That kind of filters images based on what you're interested in seeing. Right. So the great thing about Pinterest is that the lifespan of those posts is so much greater than that of a traditional social social post, right? Mm. Like nobody, unless somebody's like doing a deep dive on you, nobody's going to like an Instagram post that you posted last year. 
I hope not. That'd be pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah. If they did, there would be Digging some like alarm timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's say, and you know, and same on Facebook and, uh, Twitter, although I, it, it is possible to dig stuff up on those platforms and cause a ruckus. But for Pinterest, especially in this like home reno design space, oh my gosh, I just like, you guys must have the most beautiful images. Every, every image that you post, you can post on Pinterest with a link back to the specific episode to stream it. <gasps> Ooh. So people, <laughs> so people don't necessarily have to be searching for Brooke and Bryce or right. searching for Chip and Joanna or searching for the new Magnolia Network. What they're going to be searching for is the type of image that you're posting. Mm. So all of your keywords, they don't have to have anything to do with the show. They can have everything to do with the image. Sure. And then when people find it and they want to see more, then it's like, oh my gosh, there's a whole TV show about this. We what can do link you even to Discovery mean? Plus and all that. That's so smart. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I really hope that that's part of um, the launch strategy. So that's something that I will for sure bring up in a um, number of conversations. That's awesome. Yeah, even long-term, even something that just like if, you know, Brooke and Bryce want to do on their own, it's truly a marathon play that doesn't need to be managed, right? On Instagram, you're posting things all the time. Pinterest, you could use, I would recommend like Tailwind as a program to help um, automate stuff. It's, it's kind of set it and forget it. Right. Which is well, kind of incredible. Yeah. With, with an orthodontist and pharmaceutical sales rep by day, <laughs> builder, designer at night, there's not a ton of time to be oh my managing gosh. social media. I don't media. know how they're sleeping. They, um, sleep is not, is, is not happening so much right now, <laughs> mm -hmm. but they are super talented. I'm just so excited for this to be out there. I feel like we've been, we've been working on it for so long through COVID and all of the delays of construction that, you know, many people have been dealing with this year. So it's just finally all coming together. And then, um, yeah, working on a bunch of other projects that we can't quite talk about yet, but that are looking really good. And maybe I can come back for an, another episode oh one my day gosh, yes, and we can please. strategize. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're really hoping that we can sell some more this year. I would love that. What advice would you give somebody that maybe only has 15 minutes a day to be social on social media? Not just mm -hmm. the, not just, you know, producing content that they're just pushing out, but engaging, interacting, like how do you think it's most beneficial or strategic to spend, you know, a limited amount of time every day? Hmm. Well, it depends on what their, depends on what their goals are. Um, I think really, I would say providing, providing value, thinking about like, like take, like who's somebody that you totally fangirl over? I listen to a ton of podcasts, which is, this is very thrilling to be on a podcast right now. Um, <laughs> but all of the comedians that I, you know, I listen to mm. Bobby Lee, Whitney Cummings, uh, you know, Krista Stefano, all of those guys, I definitely follow all of their moves on social. So let's go with, okay, so for this example, let's go with Whitney Cummings. Like if you commented on her Instagram and she liked your comment, that would be super cool. Yeah, that would be cool. And if you DM'd her and you had an exchange, that would also be really cool. Totally. This may, it seems so obvious when you put it in those <laughs> terms, but yeah, you're right. Just a little engagement feels like you have a connection with a little person. engagement. If you posted on your own account, some fan art of her <laughs> and she, <laughs> Could <you> imagine? <laughs> and she shared it to her stories. Right. 
Oh my gosh, you would screenshot that and everyone in your phone would see it. I mean, the you thought of me it. creating fan art for anyone is a little like <laughs> cringy beyond, but yes, I totally, this, this idea makes sense to me that if I am engaged, if I follow someone as a fan mm -hmm. to me, I'm thinking like all these sushi chefs that I follow <laughs> and like, um, yeah. Like niche. if you, if you tried to make sushi, yeah, I don't know where you are in your sushi skills. Pretty, pretty low on the making, very high in the consumption. So <laughs> fantastic. Yes. We're on the same, we're on the same wavelength. So if you tried it, and it looked horrendous, but you posted a picture anyway. And you're like, so proud of myself. Tried something new. I promise it tastes better than it looks. And a sushi chef commented, like, keep up the good work. That's awesome. And left a tip. Like, how freaking cool would that be? Yeah. So that and, makes so much sense. <laughs> so anyway, like, it's kind of, you know, thinking about it, like, um, like how you network in real life. It's so easy to forget when you're networking online that you're actually talking to real people. Right. So it's like, what can your talent do to not just engage with their audience, but what can they do to help people in their community feel seen, heard, understood, celebrated, whatever it is, whatever they can do. If, they, if you have 15 minutes a day, create a super fan. Right. Go out of your way for one person. Right. Go out of your way for three people. Spend five minutes and comment and give them props on what they're doing or what they're building or leave them a tip. Like how freaking cool would that be? Right. That's such a great idea. And then that person is going to be a fan for life. So would you suggest going through and I'm using Brooke and Bryce as an example. I hope they're OK with me talking about them here. <laughs> um, but, you know, go, if they went through the people that comment on their posts on at Brooke and Bryce and yep. they interact with those people, that's a great place to start. Just great place to start. And I would say I would say it's a great place to start, but it's only half of it. Right. So I'll use the in real life networking analogy. So if you are networking and you only ever network with people who do two things. Number one, they come to your networking event. And number two, they come up and talk to you. Great, you're gonna meet some people. But you are not going to be able to compete with the people who are networking by going to their own events and going to other people's networking events and not only talking to the people who talk to them, but actually starting conversations. Right, <laughs> right. So that's where the, kind of the hashtags come in on Instagram. And that's where, I mean, Twitter too, just jumping into conversations. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's super, that's, it's really valuable and it's really overlooked. Yeah, I, I certainly don't engage on Twitter nearly as much as I used to. And, and not, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm always on Instagram if I'm using social media mm -hmm. um, and I use it very differently than Twitter. So that's definitely something to think about. That makes so yeah. much sense. Yeah. But I think there's, I mean, there's so much, there's so much potential and you, the people that you're working with have the added bonus of either having a TV show on the air or having one premiering soon. Mm -hmm. And so that just adds that extra cool factor. And they're in a position to convert people into super fans more easily than someone without a TV show right. would be able to. Right. Even things as simple as like when the show airs and somebody finds them on Instagram because it was on their lower third or they just searched them out or whatever, they follow every time they get a new follow or maybe not every time, but every once in a while when they get a new follow, they can just DM that person right away. <laughs> hey, thanks for following. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
hello. <laughs> really, really simple. So easy. And, so easy. And I bet you, and I'm sure these, like, you know, home reno super fans are going to love that. Yeah. They're going to, that makes so much sense. Yeah. So and that sense. could be where, you know, a digital PA or even a show PA that's around during an, or an office PA that's mm-hmm. around when the show is airing, they can click through you know, your talents, followers, and just scan through the new ones and just do like a, like a pre-screen and just say, Hey, here are five new followers that post about home reno. Right. Go interact with them. So smart. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's really, really simple. Something it just, people know how to make friends in real life. Sort of sometimes. I mean, I don't think I don't know if I do (laughs) after the pandemic, but we know, we know how to interact in person and just that screen uh, sometimes makes us forget some of the most basic things. Right. Yeah. It's just people. And hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully it's not a, a robot you're communicating with, but yes, that makes so much sense to me. It seems so obvious and yet definitely not the way that I've thought about social in the past. So yeah, a little different, a little different take. Okay. I know you've got to get back to work. I'm not going to keep you any longer, but I'm so grateful that you made time for this today. Um, real quick before you go, Tell people where they can find you online. Well, thank you for having me. This is the coolest thing ever. I'm so (laughs) proud of you for doing this. And I just feel like this is such a special safe space for people (laughs) who want to learn about social media in a non-judgmental way. And, you know, anyway, I think this is awesome. Um, It's just at Sarah Kunin, K-U-N-I-N on all social media. My dog is at Bruce the Shep. That's really who you should be following. That's really the most important Um, thing here. (laughs) And then, yeah, if you want to follow some projects I'm working on with Riverside Entertainment, it's just at riverside.ent based in Nashville, full service production company. They're awesome. Highly recommended. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. Yay. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, girl. Sarah's Instagram handle again is at Sarah Kunin, K-U-N-I-N. She is the head of unscripted development at riverside.ent. And her lovable pup, Bruce, is on Instagram at Bruce the Shep. I'll be sure to include links to all of those in the show notes, and I'll tag them all on the podcast's Instagram as well, which is at Unverified Pod. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show and hear more, please be sure to rate and subscribe. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on social at Unverified Pod. Anytime you interact with one of our posts, you're telling the social platform that you like what we're doing and it'll send you more of it. At the same time, it will also widen the reach of the post in general, so more people will have a chance to see it. And we really appreciate that. We're booking new guests, and I'd love to hear from you. Have a social media question or a digital specialty? Visit unverifiedpod.com and click be on the show. Unverified is produced by Trigger Creative, edited by Matt Fields, with special thanks to Zach Knudsen, Gwyn Rogers, and Abby White. Thanks for listening.